You are now listening to Testimonies with Terry. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to the fourth episode of Season 2 of Testimonies with Terry. I'm your host, Terry Skaggs, and you can follow me on social media at TWTerryPod, as well as the Testimonies with Terry Facebook page. Before we get into this week's testimony, I just wanted to thank you all for the support and encouragement you've given to this podcast as we're just about halfway through Season 2. This podcast does not exist without your support, and you can continue to help support this podcast by leaving those five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, as well as sharing these testimonies on social media to get the word out. Another way you can support the pod is to grab yourself some TWT merchandise. We've got a second run of merchandise that you guys can pre-order, and you'll want to do this quick as the store is only open until March 27th. After that, the store will close, the items will get made, and be shipped out to you. I'll link the store in the show notes of this episode, and you can find all the info on the TWT social media pages as well. Thanks again for the support, and now, let's get into this week's testimony. Today, you're going to hear an amazing testimony of a woman who was born into chaos, experienced sexual abuse during her childhood that resulted in her leaving the church, and leading her on a path to diving deep into New Age practices and rituals. You'll hear about the resistance she faced as she tried to leave the New Age behind her, including being attacked by demons. But most importantly, you're going to hear how Jesus rescued her from her darkness and saved her from chaos. Now serving alongside her husband in ministry, she seeks to show others that Jesus can set them free too. Ladies and gentlemen, This is Julia Valdez's testimony. All right, everyone. Well, I am here with Julia Valdez. Julia, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. I am very excited. Yeah, we uh, we connected over Facebook. Actually, one of my friends had like reshared one of the posts you had made. It was about... Uh, Satan and just how he tries to attack us, but we have the the weapons uh, from God to to combat against that. And I, I think that post had kind of gone viral. I mean, there 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 was a good bit of uh, comments and likes and shares on that. And so I'd looked into your profile, and you had a I think it was like a five or ten minute video testimony uh, at a John Ramirez uh, event, which I, I love John Ramirez. And uh, it just it just spoke so powerfully to me, and I just knew that I needed to reach out to you and invite you on the show, and you were gracious enough to accept it. So I am pumped to uh, to get into this. Awesome. Well, I am so glad that God connected us and that you're doing the Lord's work, which is getting testimonies out there that we overcome Satan by the word of our testimony. So, and it encourages the body and encourages new believers that can see like, hey, that I relate to that. I went through that. And they can actually see someone 
come out of it and how God can restore. So I think it's such an important thing to do. So thank you for having me on. I'm excited. Well, Julia, you're in California. Are you born and raised California? Yes, I am. So um, I was born, raised, and lived in Southern California my entire life. I've kind of bounced around a few different cities and counties, but I have always lived in Southern California. Very cool. We were uh, just talking about the weather before we uh, hit the record button. It's currently seven below in Minnesota, where I'm at. Julia, what's the weather like for you over in uh, California? Let's see, Cali, or let's see, San Diego weather let's just see that's how i find out i look it up on my handy dandy phone yep um right now it's 55 degrees but earlier we had a high of 67 and 40 and this was a cold day here (laughs) and i talked about earlier that cold days this was one of them you know when we get into the 50s and stuff that's cold for me yep (laughs) That's cold for me. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's like t-shirt and shorts weather for most Minnesotans. So, <laughs> wow. I guess. Well, you really your body gets used to it. Your body acclimates to the environment that you're in, especially if you've lived there your whole life. For sure. Well, Julia, you were born and raised in California. What was family life like for you growing up? Okay. Well, that's a little interesting. So, to back up before I was born, my mom. Um, she got involved with a guy that she really liked and got pregnant. And that guy, when she told that she was pregnant, told her, actually, I'm married and I want nothing to do with you. And so went back to his wife. So that was my mom's first child. Um, and she was absolutely devastated over that because um, she really thought they had a thing going on and she didn't know he was married. Um, and then she got into another relationship soon after that. And this guy was absolutely awful. He was a career criminal who had probably never held a legitimate job, um, if not like something really minor. He was a drug addict. He um, pimped my mom out. He was uh, abusive and he was also sexually abusive and a pedophile. So, I mean, anything and everything you could possibly imagine, he was like the worst of the worst. Um, and he got like made my mom prostitute for them to have money. Um, that's supposedly, obviously I never asked her about that. Um, so like with discretion, that's what it seemed like from a lot of perspective of people who were around at that time. Um, but I will say like, I never had her actually tell me that. Um, but he definitely did drugs. He definitely, it was definitely not a safe environment. They're very, very, very poor. And he would resort to anything to um, make money. And then he was also um, a child molester and worse. So, um, so my oldest sister, she shared kind of what was going on with, I believe like a teacher or something and all three kids get taken away. She ends up with her father, who was that first guy that was married. And then um, after a while um, there was this in-between period and that guy got arrested, went to jail And there was an in-between period where my mom was kind of on the run. I don't think it had anything to do with this case, probably something else, because she was also um, kind of becoming a criminal as well. You know, she's doing all these things. Those are criminal activities. And um, one of her favorite places that she kept going back to in her life was Balboa, um, which is a beach town in California. And she met my dad one day and um, they hit it off and started dating for like three weeks. And 
he really liked her. She needed a place to stay. So she moved in, you know, and he's like, wow, this beautiful woman. My mom had blue eyes, blonde hair, petite. He really liked her. She moved in. And after like three weeks, the cops come and knock on the door to arrest her. And um, he finds out that her name is not actually what she told him. She gave him a fake name and that she was on the run from the cops. So that was a crazy turn of events because my dad's like a really normal guy. And he was like, had no idea of her past. He didn't know all of this drama going on. He didn't know her past history. He didn't know any of this. He didn't know all that stuff. So she goes to jail and she was only in there for like six months. Um, but it turns out she was pregnant with me, um, in that short period of time. So it was actually a blessing in disguise. Cause you know, my mom had a crazy lifestyle. She wasn't very stable. So, um, it could have been a blessing that she was in jail. Like on one hand, she may not have been making as bad of choices, but everybody knows in jail, you can still find bad things to do. Sure. But, um, so she was in jail. Obviously they were no longer together after that. Um, he was not the ride or die. He's like, I'm getting off this ride. (laughs) And so she gets out. She had custody of me when she actually gave birth. She had custody for about a year in that time. She got, um, my two of my sisters back that went into foster care. Um, and she had me. So for about a year, she had three kids and she was trying to get back on her feet and trying to do good. And, um, an unfortunate thing happened where, um, I won't throw anyone under the bus, but somebody in the family, um, created a lie. And later on when they were older, they, they realized what they, you know, they realized the devastation that they caused. Um, and they had made up a lie because they thought that something else would happen and something beneficial to them would happen, but they were young. They didn't understand how the world worked. Um, and so they made up a lie, not realizing what would happen, but that lie ended up getting all three of us taken away for good. There was no coming back. Um, and obviously that person did not know. They didn't know the, the consequences. They didn't know how that would hurt our mom. They didn't know how that would hurt themselves because all three of us ended up going to um, separate foster cares. They didn't oh, keep wow. us together. Yeah. And um, so, I mean, that's just an innocent mistake as a child. Like they didn't know that they were, they didn't understand how the world worked. And so they'd understand that they would go to foster care separately for basically the rest of their childhood. And so um, my dad had to prove paternity. I was only in foster care, I think, for about six months. And back then, like, there was a longer process of proving paternity. And then he was able to get me out. And unfortunately, my sisters stayed in foster care and bounced around um, foster care until they were adults. Wow. So yeah, that was, that was childhood. I don't know how much further you want me to go with that, but yeah, yeah, it's a little wild. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Just kind of born into chaos. It sounds like. Yeah. A little bit. And there was just generational stuff. So, um, my mom was also sexually abused by, um, by a stepfather and he did bad things to her and it really changed her perspective. Um, so for my mom, cause it happened for many, many years from her, like three years old until I think she was like 11 or seven. I don't really remember. I have it written down in a journal, but, um, she was also abused, but this is what was really strange. People respond to different abuse differently. She said, 
oh, he really loves me. Like it changed her brain. Mm. It changed her brain and the way that she connected love with abuse. And she wasn't ever mad at that person. So that person actually did go to jail too. And other people that he abused just did not respond that way. But she responded very differently. She responded almost like that Stockholm syndrome yep. where she was like, no, daddy loves me. I love daddy. Everything's fine. And she can like later on down the road, she continued a relationship with him, not sexually, but welcomed him back in as a father figure. Um, so that was kind of interesting. And then when her children were abused, I think she just kind of was not in the right place. She also, that guy would threaten to kill her. Like um, the guy that would beat her and molest her kids. He would threaten, if you ever leave, I'd kill you. And and he would beat her till she was bloody. And and he really, he had tattoos on his face, the teardrops. So okay. he could have actually killed people. He really was a bad guy. He was very violent. Very, very, I have pictures of him and you can straight up see like dark, demonic, like psycho look in his face, like really scary dude. Yeah. Just looking at his picture, he looks terrifying. So it was hard. So anyways, there was generational stuff. Like a lot of people did drugs. There was people who had mental illness and in that family line, there was a lot of abuse. There's a lot of cheating. There's a lot of sexual abuse. I think even my granny grandma, her mother had sexual abuse. So there was a pattern of that childhood sexual abuse and all of those things for many generations. And that line it, where, you know, we see that now that it goes from one generation to the next. If you don't break those, those things, if you don't break those curses, break those demons, break those patterns, it will roll on generation to generation many times. Yeah. So how old were you, Julia, when mom lost custody of you? I was one years old. So she only had me for about a year when that rumor, which was, you know, as sad as it was, it was devastating to my mom to lose her kids for sure. After that, she wasn't going to get us back. Yeah. Um, and so that was devastating for her. But as us as children, like I would hope that she would have lived, like say she never lost custody. She could have been a great mom, but the chances are she had a long history of this kind of, of, just being in the wrong circles. So she, on another side, I could have been very protected. My dad, who got custody, custody of me, it's a blessing in disguise. My dad was amazing. My dad raised me by himself from one years old all the way till I was 18, all by himself. He was outstanding, loving, sacrificing everything to take care of me, was not a crazy person, was not a criminal, was not a bad guy. He was a good guy and a good dad. So I was very, very blessed by that. And even my sisters, even though they went to foster care, which is not ideal, you never know what life my mom would have ended up living. So she could have gone onto a better track and got back on her feet and continued that way. But we just don't know because she didn't tend to run in those circles of doing good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like you said, sounds like a blessing in disguise that you uh, ended up in dad's custody. What was that like for you then growing up with just dad? Um, amazing in some ways. So I lived with my dad and we lived in Santa Ana. So that's where I lived for a little bit. We lived in Balboa and then we moved to Santa Ana, which is kind of a rougher city for Southern California. It's not the best city. Um, there are a lot of gangs around there. My next door neighbor was a gang member there across the street was a lot of gang members. 
um, there's a lot of poverty in that area. There's a lot of gangs in that area. There's a lot of crime in that area, but um, my dad just did the best he could. And he did let me see my mom. He would let me go visit my mom almost every week, all the time. And there's other parts of my testimony I've never shared. So there's kind of a controversy with my mom um, that I was kidnapped for a couple of days. And when I was a child, I was dead on that my mom didn't kidnap me. It was an accident. And um, and then, of course, my dad's like, no, she kidnapped you. So wow. she used to, before that, my dad would allow her to babysit me um, because she was fine. She was my mom. She always stayed like around near us. So even though she was homeless during the day, my mom took good care of herself, even though she was homeless. For many years, she'd still wear pretty dresses and cute shoes. And she did her best to still look nice. Um, so she would... Um, watch me during the day while my dad worked sometimes, not when I was really little, but when I got a little bit older. So this was around four years old. And, um, one day he was supposed to meet her at a certain spot and she wasn't there. And so my mom, I remember like she missed the bus. And so now could it have been intentionally missing the bus? I guess. Sure. Because she could have called him. I'm sure she had his number. So now looking back, she probably could have called him, but, um, so we are gone for a couple of days. She took me to the homeless shelter with her but at one time she did not know where we lived. So my dad always kept that a secret because, because she was homeless. He didn't want her always hanging around the house. And so just to have privacy. Um, but one day at four years old, I knew how to, I knew the streets enough to direct my mom on the bus step-by-step step, how to go from one city to my house. So we get to my house. She took me to the door. She tried to return me. So my dad thinks maybe she tried to kidnap me to get me to show her where I lived, but I thought she babysat me. She could have had me show her that anytime, or maybe she regretted it. I don't really know what happened, but one day, it was only a couple of days. One day we were at the um, homeless shelter and um, a van pulled up a bunch of cop guys. I don't know what they were, SWAT or whatever they were, jumped out of the car, got my mom, put me in the van and my dad was in the van and I went home. And there was a restraining order after that, but my dad, with my desperate pleas of a child, allowed her to still see me, but monitored on the patio. So we had a little patio at that point. She knew where I lived, so she would come and visit me all the time. So at that point, she would, she would stay near us, and she would visit me all the time. So, and I love to tell people this part is like, even though my mom made a ton of mistakes, and you know, really, really bad mistakes. Um, she was still one of the sweetest and nicest people I've ever met in my entire life. She was such a gem, such a heart of gold. I think that's why she got so run down by life. She was so easily taken advantage of because she was so kind yeah. and so soft. She was such a soft person that she was very easily manipulated, I believe. And so she was so giving every single time she'd come see me. She spent her whole week gathering things like from free piles, yard sales, whatever. And she would always bring like a trash bag or two every time she would visit me. And she would just be like, look what I got. You'd be like 80s dresses and toiletries from like hotels. It would be all kinds of random things that she'd find or maybe people would donate because she was homeless. I don't really know where she got all this stuff, but every time she always had stuff. And that was our thing, like going through the bags and looking at all the things she had found for me. And like, these were treasures. And we would sit there and play tic-tac-toe and all that good stuff. So she was very kind and she would be so thoughtful. She would say, I had a friend named Stephanie she never met. She'd be like, this necklace is for Stephanie. This necklace is for this person. These socks are for that person. 
every person in my life I'd talk about, she'd think about them and bring little trinkets. And yeah, it was, she was so sweet and so kind. Um, and she did love her kids. She just also made some really bad decisions and she gave up. So, oh, I forgot to say at some point, I meant to say this after my dad got custody, she became homeless when she lost her kids, lost her men, but did not want anything to do with her family. Cause she was angry at them for, you know, them helping get the kids taken away, um, which they were trying to do the best thing for the children, you know? And of course she was upset about that. So she became homeless and she didn't get back on her feet. She just kind of gave up in that sense. She never tried to get back on her feet. She just kind of settled with being homeless and drifting around. And when I was a little girl in Santa Ana, one of the things was there was a pool, the community pool to the, it was apartment complex. And there was a community pool right in front of my house. And there was a pool bathroom because all, you know, all the pools have a bathroom. And um, I would sneak out at night. And I knew how to pick that lock. I, I knew how to pick the lock to the bathroom. And I would bring her pillows or snacks or blankets for her to sleep in the bathroom because nobody's using the bathroom at night, over the night, over the nighttime, and the pool would be locked. But I, my dad was a treasurer of the community. So I also had access to things. <laughs> so I, I was able to sneak her into the pool and she would stay there often. Um, and then I would sneak back in and my dad didn't know I did that till I got older. And I told him, which probably wasn't safe, but you know, you know, you do what you do. Yeah. God protected you. Yeah. God protected me. I wasn't going far. It was literally right in front of the house. So (laughs) (laughs) what was that like for you, Julia, seeing your mom in that situation of, of homelessness? Meanwhile, you get to go back to, to your house and, you know, I don't know, did you, were your basic needs met with dad, you know, as far as, you know, food, water, clothes, all that stuff? Yeah, my dad took really good care of me. So we had, the apartment was, was good. Even though we lived in a, in a janky city at times, our little apartment complex was actually pretty nice um, for the area. And he took good care of me and we had all of our needs met. It was very, very strange. It was very hard. There were multiple times I would drive to school and see her at a bus stop. She never, I never saw her with signs begging for money. She never did that. My dad really would still take care of her, like her basic necessities, even though she was homeless. Um, And then I don't know how she got other money, but I'm sure she found ways. But there was times I saw her at bus stops. There were times when it was raining and I didn't know where she was. I would meet her behind Jack in the Boxes. There was this one alley I'd always meet her in. I found her sleeping in bushes multiple times where like we go to me and I can't find her and I go look and she's actually sleeping in one of the bushes. So it was very sad, but it was like, we had this own little bubble. We wouldn't talk about the homelessness. It's like, we would just pretend that. I don't know. It's like, let's just enjoy our time together. And we would play games and we would dress up and we would sing and we would dance and we just had a good time together and enjoyed the time we had. And you could tell she didn't want to talk about the homelessness and she didn't really, she wanted to act like she wasn't homeless to me, even though I was hiding her in the bathroom. Sometimes it was really clear she was homeless. She would always say, I'm staying with friends. That was like her go-to line. I'm staying with friends, you know, things like that. She never wanted to talk about it. It was kind of like the elephant in the room that nobody really addressed most of the time. And so we would just hang out and enjoy each other. But at the same time, 
I would go to school and everybody had their parents and they would have field trips and they'd have parent nights. And like, it, it was still very strange and very sad because I knew I wanted to do more for my mom, but there's, it's like just weird. I didn't know anyone else whose mom was homeless. So it's like, I couldn't, it was just an interesting situation. It's hard to see your parent. I think anybody that struggles with their parent not being in a good situation growing up, it just grieves your heart, but there's not a lot you can do. Yeah. Cause you're a kid and, and, and you can't do a whole lot in that situation. Yeah. So, um, but I first, when I lived in Santa Ana, the first time I really heard about Jesus was probably partially through my mom. She'd always give me those little Bibles and stuff. I think she had like a basic foundation. And then, um, my neighbor, they went to a Baptist church. They were pretty cool. Um, and they started inviting me to go to church. Now my dad was not a believer at all. Um, but he was not against me going. And so he let me go with the neighbors to the Baptist church. And I decided to give my life to Christ at that time. I don't, I'm not Baptist now, but it was still good to go to a church. And I learned about it for a few years. And then at a certain point, I think it was like 2008 or something, the market crashed and my dad, uh, lost everything. He went bankrupt and we moved into hotels for a year. And actually I stayed with a neighbor for a little bit. And we moved in like hotels, not nice hotels. I mean, like Red Roof Inn and like motel, like the cheap hotels. Cause if you're staying in them all the time, you have to be in a cheap one. And then my dad became a handyman to make money. And um, cause he was a metal fabricator before and construction and different types of businesses, but he couldn't get that type of work. So he became a handyman. And um, at one point after about a year of being in hotels, um, my dad got a job for a rich lady in Laguna beach and she had a very big home and, um, she had a lot of work that needed to be done on her home. And so she said, cause she had this like, um, kind of disconnected guest room. It was kind of on the bottom floors, kind of disconnected. There was technically a door to the house, but we didn't use it cause that had direct access to our be- bedroom. So like, we never really used that door. We blocked it off kind of. So it was like a disconnected guest room. And she said, you can live here for free. Um, but I need all this stuff fixed on my house. And that was a pretty sweet deal. So we took it. Um, and I was about 10 at that time. And, um, so then we lived there for a long time. I lived there till I was like 17. I moved out like 17, 18 and we shared a room. And so to somehow we got like these couch cushions and I would, um, I would sleep on the couch cushions, either on the ground next to the bed, but most of the time I chose to set them up in the bathroom because it was like my own room. Mm. And this wasn't like a Laguna beach bathroom that you're imagining. This bathroom had the pipes exposed drywall. It was unfinished. So this room was unfinished. Like I said, her house needed work. There was other parts of the house that were gorgeous and finished, but this was an area that wasn't finished. And the whole time we lived there, it was not finished. So the whole time I lived there, the pipes were exposed, the drywall was exposed, whatever. Um, But it was my own little space. And my mom never knew where we lived when we moved to Laguna. I was really told, don't tell her. So I I did obey that. But we still saw her like every week. Um, So my dad would still drive me to see her. He would still try to take care of her as much as he could, um, even though we were poor. But yeah, I grew up in Laguna for the next season of my life. And that was really interesting because I was just really, I came from like Santa Ana, I was already kind of poor. 
um, city, like people, even though my mom was homeless and I kind of stood out for that, other people could kind of, there was, it was more relatable. Mm-hmm. But when I moved to Laguna, my dad had this really old truck that, have you ever heard those trucks when they turn them on, they squeal super loud. Have you yep. ever heard that? Yep. Okay. That was our truck. Um, it was like totally run down. It would do the craziest squeal, like the loudest thing you've ever heard every time you turned it on. And, um, we shared a room. And my mom was homeless and I kind of was too open. I didn't learn, you know, at 10 years old, you don't kind of know discretion that much. Um, And so I told somebody at school that my mom was homeless and that there was this history of like drugs and violence and, you know, homelessness and poverty. And I slept on a bathroom floor. Like I was too open with the wrong person. And that person told everyone at school and Laguna beach. If you know, everybody knows that show Laguna beach with all those rich people that was around the time I, they were filming that while I lived there, by the way, cause I lived there many years. That was the world I lived in, but I was super poor. So I'm going to school in like the worst car. I have all thrift store clothes, clothing. My mom's homeless. I sleep on a bathroom floor. Um, so the people just thought I was probably like a Martian. They're like, <laughs> They just didn't, I just was from a different world where they just couldn't relate. Like, yeah. And that person, after they found out that stuff, they're like, stay away from that girl, like stay away from her. And this person was very popular and I didn't, I never went to a school with like hierarchy of popular kids before this. Um, And these are some things I've never shared in any testimony, how this all happened. But yeah. So after that, for whatever reason, everybody listened to them. Like, I don't know why. Um, and I remember because my mom, I was always super giving, even though I was poor. I remember one time I brought like a cup of soup to school and I gave it out to some girls and the girl said, you can't buy our friendship. And I'm like, girl, I'm poor. Like, I can't buy your friendship. I didn't say that. I was so devastated and I was so passive at that time. I never would stick up for myself anyways, Yeah. but I look back on it and laugh. I'm like, girl, I couldn't buy your, I gave you a cup of soup. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. I couldn't buy I couldn't buy your friendship if I wanted to. And I think it was just this weird thing, like very clicky. They were very rich. They couldn't relate to me. And um, you have some popular people not on your side is not a good thing. So, anyways, I continue to go through school. And one of the things is that a neighbor, another like this lady who lived next door, the house next door. Oh, I forgot to say, there's other parts of my testimony I've never told in interviews because they are usually really short. And since yours is longer, I can go more in depth. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You want to know another crazy part about living in this house? <laughs> Let's hear it. They had attack dogs. What? And the attack dogs in this big, in this big mansion, right? Well, they weren't meant to be attack dogs. They were dogs that would attack. Okay. They were just badly trained dogs. Um, <laughs> They weren't meant to be attack dogs, but they were like guardians of the house. Well, they were really nice to me up until a point. And one day, I guess one of these dogs bit a girl that looked very similar to me. Dog was not put down. But from that day forward, that dog wanted to kill me. And multiple times I would go into the yard um, because there's this giant like six foot fence that surrounded the whole property, huge fence. Um. I, there was like twice that I came in and I didn't know the dogs were in the yard and they came to attack me. And I barely, barely like jumped one time up onto like a bar, like an outdoor bar. And another time I had to hop the fence and I barely made it without getting attacked. 
Um, one was like a German shepherd. One was a hunting dog, like some sort of spaniel. And then one was a pit bull. Oh man. So they didn't like me. So this is what happened. So they had these dogs for many years. This was early on and living there. So what happened was I wasn't allowed to leave my room. So I'm already stuck in one room. Me and my dad are sharing a room. We didn't have access to the kitchen. We, all those years, we cooked on one of those little plug-in stoves and a microwave and a toaster. Um, that was our, like, it was like we were camping for 10 years. (laughs) That's all we had. And, um, so I was already in this room. But then after the dogs didn't like me, I was not allowed to leave the room unless I called upstairs and they put the dogs away for me to leave. And that was such a hassle for them. They like didn't want to They very annoying if I had to leave, you know. So and not only that, the guy that owned so that lady, she had a husband. They didn't live on the same floor of the house. They actually lived on separate floors and they hated each other. (laughs) And that guy was not very nice. And he hated me and my dad. And so he would just talk smack. Oh, man. So I was in a house. I was like Cinderella. They didn't like me. I'm sleeping on the floor. They have attack dogs and I can't leave. It was like movie situation. Like it just sucked. And then at school, I have no friends. I'm eating in the bathroom, eating at the back of the school. Um, yeah, not popular. Not good. So then what happens? Let's skip My next door neighbor, I was about to say that part, my next door neighbor was a Christian. And so she decided to start taking me to church, which was awesome. That was a great outlet for a period of time. I got involved in the church. I became best friends with the girl at the church. We became like inseparable because she lived in a different city, but she had a very similar story, totally chaotic, messed up story. And I'm like, yes, girl, we're best friends. Can finally like, relate to someone. <laughs> I could finally relate to someone like, oh my gosh, your life's a hot mess. My life is a hot mess. <laughs> so, so, and we were both the losers in our school. So we were like, yes, losers club. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we got along great. And so we were really good friends. We got to get involved with the youth group, go on missions trips um, with the group and different things. So we there was a season that it was really nice. And um, at one point, that friend, her and her sister got taken away from their mother. And um, the sister went to foster care and, the, and she went to go live with her older sister. There was an older sister that had a husband and a son. And she went to go live with them. And this family, the husband was, um, his grandfather was um, like a super famous pastor. And I won't say who it is because it doesn't matter. And it's not the pastor's fault. It's not the church's fault. But um, so they were related to the super famous pastor. And actually even the house they lived in was owned by the super famous pastor. So my best friend goes to live there who I spent all my time with because I had no friends at school. And so I would go over there all the time. And my dad let me too, because I would be like, dad, I don't want to be in this room all the time. And he's working to be a single father providing. And so he thinks this is a safe place for us. Everybody thought it was a safe place. Even the, the wife was such an angel trying to take care of us and give us like a safe haven. And she didn't know that her husband was also a pedophile who was supposed to be a Christian related to the super famous pastor. That guy worked in the church. He's an adult. And so he started to like groom me and not only me, but the other girl and any other little girl that came in that house. Um, I think I got the worst of it, but there could have been other girls. I I mean, I don't know how bad it got for the other girls, to be honest. It, It didn't get horrifically bad, but he did things he shouldn't have done. He definitely did stuff. 
he did do things. Um, and I never planned on telling, none of us planned on telling because he was super good at manipulating. That's what groomers do. Yep. Saying like, if you ever tell anybody, you know, my son won't have a father or, you know, everyone's going to blame you or, you know, this person won't have a husband. And this pressure of if you tell anybody, um, it's going to be really bad. So you might as well just take it type of thing. And so I wasn't planning. And that's, that was where my friend had a safe haven to live, not a safe haven, but I mean, she had a place to live and she felt really scared to talk about it too. And we both knew what was happening to each other, but neither one of us were willing to tell. But one day we got in trouble. So we're like 11 or 12 at this time. So it's not that long after I moved to Laguna, a couple years in. And one day um, we were playing truth or dare and we took it too far and we got in trouble. So the, the older sister was like reprimanding us, like, you know, y'all, you guys took it too far kids. So we, we did, we were just being kids um, and we were just playing games, but um, we were getting in trouble and I was like emotional in the moment. And I didn't mean to, I wasn't planning on saying anything, but in the moment I kind of just like blurted it out, like your husband's a pedophile or something like that. I didn't go in depth. I just said enough. And in that moment, she didn't believe me. She thought I was just trying to get out of trouble. And plus her husband was this upstanding Christian guy who like played a really good part, like really, really good. Everybody loved and trusted this guy. So it was hard for her to believe me um, in that moment. And so she told me, you'll never talk to this friend again. And for years, I was not allowed to be friends with my best friend. And then um, the rumor went around the church that I made this up to some people. She told some of the leaders, like, keep her away from my sister. She's a liar. She's making up this stuff, blah, blah, blah. And so I started to get separated from everybody. And then like people were snickering and giving me looks and all of that. And so I decided to stop going to church because I'm like, I, this is no longer my safe place. I feel worse here. And I couldn't understand like, God, like I'm a child and this was my safe haven. My only friend church was like my only, like everything to me at that point. I only went for a few years, but it was everything to me. And I was a good girl at this point. I didn't do anything bad. I didn't do drugs. I didn't do anything bad. But after that, I went downhill. I went downhill really fast. I once again had no friends when I went back to Laguna, but I heard like, I knew some people like all these scene kids, like all these outcast people in Orange County. So not from my city particularly, but from the county, all of these like kind of like cool, edgy, dark haired, like whatever kids all hung out at this one mall. And so I started to go to that mall and I started to make friends with those kids and for a while, I didn't do the bad things they were doing, but you are who you hang around. And after a while, I dyed my hair black, all my clothes turned black. I started smoking cigarettes. I started drinking. I started experimenting. And I went downhill really quickly. And I, you know, needed an outlet. And then I thought, oh, finally, I found, why is why are all these kids rebelling like that? Because they all have similar stories to what I just told you. And finally, I'm like, my tribe, we're, we all like our lives all suck. Like, <laughs> and I'm home. Then, like, I'm home. And so that's why people find that's why people join gangs. That's why people do these messed up things is because they're looking for love. They're looking for community. They're looking for acceptance. They're looking to not be judged and to be 
relatable. That's why so many people fall into this stuff. Like all of the bad things, it like it's a trap. It's a Satan's trap. It cause and effect. He will bring about an attack and then give you some really crappy solution that looks good, very deceiving solution. And that's what he does. He does it all the time. Yeah. And I can't even imagine, Julia, where your self-esteem was probably at at that point as well. I mean, here you're 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 being violated sexually by, you know, this guy who is just playing a perfect role, essentially, it sounds like. It, mm-hmm. it, it gets out. No one believes you. You're kind of almost kind of forced to leave the church just based off how everyone was treating you. And now, you know, wh- where else do you go? Right. So, I mean, I think that's, that was just a perfect recipe for you to kind of get uh, into that crowd was, was just all the low self-esteem and just everything you had gone through by that point. Yeah. Myself, I truly like had no self-esteem at all. Um, I was so insecure. I was so, I would come home crying all the time to my dad. Like, why am I so ugly? Cause I was convinced it must be because I'm ugly, you know, and that, <laughs> that's so dumb. Like I, you just don't understand why you're not accepted. You don't understand. Um, like at school, I couldn't understand that. I mean, I knew it was cause I was poor, but I didn't really understand how it could be the level that it was. So I get into bad groups. And during this season, I'm partying all the time, but I'm telling my dad, I'm spending the night, like I have a group of girlfriends and I'm like, dad, I'm spending the night at so, so, so's house. I was not always spending the night at so, so, so's house. I was doing lots of bad things. You know, I was getting into trouble. And I think my dad just felt bad that he wasn't able to give me more. And he also just thought like, oh, she's having more fun there. She's, you know, with her girlfriends, whatever. And I think he felt very guilty for a lot of the things that I was going through. Um, so he, he was there for me as much as he could be, but I think he also didn't know what to do with the situation at times. So anyways, going to parties, there was multiple times at parties where I was once again, people would try to take advantage of me or did take advantage of me multiple times. And, um, so that became a pattern and I was a virgin. So for me, I didn't want to, um, a super like against like, I had seen so many guys be so perverted that I was like disgusted by, I just didn't understand why there was so much rape and molestation in the world. And so I really, that stuff didn't seem appealing to me because I didn't have really good experiences with it. Yeah. Um, and so I, because I wouldn't at these parties want to join in in the festivities you know, people want to take advantage of you. Um, And so more stuff would happen and more partying, whatever. And I started to go to raves really early on. And like 13, I was going to raves, but I looked a lot older. And by like 15, um, I slowly drifted away from God. So not just leaving the church, I still had my Bible and would read once in a blue moon and call out to God once in a blue moon. But over time, I eventually just continued to drift further and further from God, like where I just didn't. I didn't care as much, you know, and eventually like was questioning, believing, but at like 16, let me see about 15, 16 years old. I met a girl who was very beautiful and she was very, she was three years older than me. Very, very smart, very, very business oriented. She had never owned a business before that, but we would make matching outfits and go to raves. She was super connected to the VIP. We'd go to the VIP section at all these raves. I was like 15, 16, but I had extensions and lots of makeup. And I looked over age to most people probably. And we would always dress up and go to raves. 
Um, and we would make really intricate matching outfits. It was our thing. And um, one day we were in the VIP and a guy comes up to us and says, okay, you guys are on in five. And we're like, what are you talking about? He's like, you guys are the dancers, right? We're like, we're not the dancers. He's like, well, you look like it. Do you want to dance? And I said, no. And my friend and her friend said, yes. And I was like, no. And they're like, oh yeah, we're doing this. And she looked at me. She was a very strong person. Once again, I was still very passive at this time. And she turned to me. She's like, don't ruin my chance. You're doing this. And I'm like, oh God, I'm doing this. So there was a massive stage with thousands and thousands of people at this stage. And this stage had three little stages on top of it that were like five, 10 feet high. Three of them. That's why it was perfect. We were three girls, three stages for dancers. And so we went up there and I was like, oh God, like, just don't let me fall off this thing. Like I was already insecure and very scared. And I did not think that I could dance at all. I never even went to a school dance. No one ever asked me. I didn't dance. So I was very nervous. And all of a sudden, I guess people recognize me and I'm looking down and people I know are in the crowd. I'm like, oh, this, this is not good. And so <laughs> this is not good. But anyways, I toughed it out and um, was up there and pretending like I knew what I was doing. Lord, if I could see that footage, like, I don't even know how cringy it would be. Yeah. But horrible, horrible. And we get down. I don't even know if they made us stay up there for a while. And we get down and she was like, that was so easy. We should create a go-go dancing company. <laughs> so that night we started a go-go dancing company and we came up with the names and outfits and we, um, we were really going to be the managers of it and not really the dancers. Like we did, I think dance other times than that, but we, our first audition, we made my spaces for it. She had all these connections to photographers. So we got professional photographers. We started to have auditions in parks, hotel rooms. We had like multiple auditions, like maybe five auditions and got a whole crew of girls. And all these girls wanted to get into raves for free. And they're like, yeah, let's do it. Go VIP and all of that. They were down for the ride. And we just, we did pictures for everyone and we would have dance lessons and make outfits that all matched for everyone. And we linked up with this rave company that wanted us to do all of their raves. I won't really tell the story, but she got us kicked out of her house and my house. Um, not my dad's choice. So I'll just do it quick. She was dating this guy. Her dad didn't like it. So kicked her out. So we went to stay at my house in the bathroom. <laughs> really cute. So we went to stay at my house for a little bit. And um, this guy went to jail and she got prison letters sent to my house. Um, Cause she didn't have anywhere to get letters sent to her. And when the homeowners that my dad, you know, got, had a room from saw these prison letters, they're like, get out of my house. Later on, they let me back. But first season, they told me to leave. Um, and so we were both kicked out. And the rave company then bought us, they, they went to help us. They bought us hotel rooms for six months. We, me and her lived in hotels together. And these hotels had like jacuzzi tubs in the room, not even in the bathrooms. Like we were, we were just living this crazy life. We were hanging out with like DJs and backstage and hiring all these girls. And it was a crazy, crazy life. We could do whatever we wanted all day long. Yeah. Um, and I was 16 years old, not going to school for that season for a little bit, for like six months, living in hotels, running a rave company, just crazy. And that's 
crazy um, for 16. And then one day I just didn't want to do it. I really saw, I was a virgin go-go dancer. That is ridiculous. Um, and I just wanted a better life. I was like, okay, what am I doing? One day I kind of just woke up and was like, this is not going to go down a good road. Like, I think I just woke up one day and was like, I need to finish high school. I need to, like, if I keep doing this, I'm never going to find the type of person I want to be with. Like, I'm, this is fun. Um, And there was nothing really bad going on at that time. It was like the peak of what the devil, it's like the devil was like, here, have everything. And I was at the peak of that. And I just was like, this is not working out. Like, I miss my dad. I want to go home. And I just one day quit. And she was not happy about that because we had built it together. And I was like, you can do this. I'm underage. You're not. I need to go back home. I need to finish school. I can't do this anymore. So I literally quit everything. I quit drinking. I quit smoking. I quit raves. I like left all my friends. And I went back to the bathroom. And I went back to the bathroom. And I spent a while working on myself and getting my life back on track. And um, I graduated school with a 4.0. I got really good in school. Wow. Um, I awesome. fixed all my grades because I had the worst grades. I had the worst grades from constantly ditching. Um, it wasn't that I was bad in school, is that I wasn't at school. And so I fixed my grades. I eventually moved out by like 17. I got my own apartment and I got introduced to the world of like Tony Robbins. And um, somebody gifted me a ticket to one of his live events. And I was like, this is life changing. I want to, I want to help people change their lives. And I signed up for his whole package, like all of his events, coaching, everything. And I remember his line was, if you can't afford this package, that's why you should go. I'm like, he's right. He's right. (laughs) I was sold. I was like, yes. I, and it was like a 13 grand package. And I was like a little kid. (laughs) I don't know. So I was going to college at that time a little bit, like, um, the community college. I was, it was right around the time I got my own apartment. I was working for like a sales company outside of that. Um, cause this is once I was overaged and I started working for Tony Robbins. First, I was a assistant to one of his top coaches. So I got on the phone with my coach. You, you get this coaching package and my coach liked me so much that first time. Cause I sold him that I wanted to be this life coach and all this stuff. So he's like, I'm going to fly you out to New York to the next event and you're going to be my assistant. And I'm like, yes, I will. (laughs) And so, yes, I will do that. And so I started traveling to all of their live events pretty much and being his assistant. And then, and I would volunteer all the live events. Um, And because that guy was one of the top guys, I would go out to their special dinners and stuff. Um, I only met Tony in passing. He wouldn't come to the special dinners, but I did meet him in passing, not like we were friends or anything. And then eventually they, I was doing really, really well in my sales job, my other job. And so I was killing it in school, doing really good at sales and working for Tony Robbins. And then they asked me to come be an official part of their business team because they thought that my sales skills could work over there. So right around this time, A little bit before that, my mom had passed away around the time that I started going to the Tony Robbins stuff, which was devastating. Six months before she died, though, I got her a place. So I got her her the last six months of her life. She wasn't homeless. She had her 
I rented her a room and she had a pink room with slippers and clothes and books. And I would go visit her and all of that. And then she unexpectedly died. Um, like right the day before Mother's Day, I found out she unexpectedly died. Um, and that was devastating. Um, because I just loved my mom so much, yeah. even though obviously it was really unconventional relationship, but I adored my mom. Um, so she passed away. That was around the time I did the Tony Robbins stuff around the time I was doing the sales stuff. And so around the time that they asked me to become an official part of the business, I also started to get into new age stuff. And one thing, this is what is so tricky about self-help. Most of self-help is not harmful. You know, a lot of Tony Robbins content is like perfectly fine. It's like, it's it's just normal, like how to discipline yourself, how to achieve goals and how to plan and how to, you know, motivation type of stuff. Yeah. Overall, I will say it's not like satanic and bad, right? Um, but there were some questionable things. There were some things like I had been told that there was hypnotism involved in his events and with his coaches and stuff. And then there was like some like spiritual practices they did at some of the higher level events where they lay hands on you and people like have these spiritual encounters and then walking on the fire and just different things. So the other thing was a lot of people who are in the self-help, it breeds a lot of new age people. There's a lot of new age people in that crowd um, for different things. So sorry to interrupt you before you go any further. Those that are listening that have no idea what you mean by like new age, can you kind of give them a little background on, on what the new age movement is? So new age, it's an interesting thing because there's a huge umbrella of things that fall under new age and, um, their spiritual practices. Sometimes they're spiritual practices. Sometimes it's just a lot of people who are usually into like yoga, the universe, um, manifestation, the secret. There's a lot of these Deepak Chopra, a lot of these spiritual teachers who teach these new age practices of like um, meditation and attracting and raising your vibration and opening up your chakras. There's a wide range of things that fall under the new age category and you don't have to be involved in all of them. You could be involved in different ones or different types of teachers in the new age. But basically, they don't, I don't know if they consider it a spiritual practice, but it's definitely a spiritual practice. Yeah. And there's a wide range of stuff in that. Basically, they have different ideas about God. Usually it's um there's a wide range of views under that. So it's not like a structured religion, like a lot of other religions, like this is God and this is that there's more diversity within their beliefs. Usually they give a lot of credit to the universe or they say it's a God. It's just not the God of a lot of other religions. And it's a spiritual practice, just basically raising your vibration. And it's a lot of self, a lot of self-focused. And some of them, it goes as far as believing you're a God and getting yourself to Christ consciousness. And if you've heard these words, these may be like tag words you've heard of. A lot of this stuff falls under that practice. The Secret, the book, The Secret, and the movie, The Secret, definitely falls under that category, which is all about the law of attraction manifestation. That is under the realm of new age. It's just, they believe it's the age of Aquarius, this new age of people raising their vibration to save the world, basically, and become gods and, you know, peace, love, unity. There's a lot of great tagline words that make it seem so inclusive and so about love. And so 
it seems so good on the outside that you're like, what is wrong with this? This sounds great. Yep. You know, a lot of people, it, it's like, you know, Jesus is the stumbling stone and can be offensive talking about sin and hell. New Age is like really not offensive to people because it sounds really good in all the ways. Like, oh, we're all about love. We're all about peace. Like, you know, doing different spiritual practices to become more peaceful, more healed, more um, in tune with nature, more in tune with the universe doesn't sound bad. But when you know that there is a one true God and Jesus is the way, you know that Satan is deceptive. And this is one of his ways of deceiving people is to, because if you're not serving the one true God and accept Jesus as your Lord and savior, you're on Satan's team. So he has come up with so many different religions and so many different traps that he's like, he knows one shoe will not fit on that. Everybody's going to blatantly serve Satan. So he has to come up with all these counterfeit religions that it makes it very difficult for people to find the truth in that way, because there's so many options. And then he knows that if they're just following the wrong way, even if it seems really well-intentioned, they say the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And I think the the road to hell and new age is paved with really good intentions. Um, so people are a lot of times, not all the time, they could be involved in yoga and meditation. And sometimes they take it as far as astral projecting and all those different things like lucid dreaming. And sometimes they're into spiritual things like taking ayahuasca or doing different things to have these spiritual encounters. So they understand your spiritual beings, but they just have a wrong frame of what everything is. It's just Satan twists everything, but makes it sound so good. And so that's what I fell into. I was like, I want to be healed. I want to love. I want unity. I want to, I want all this stuff. And there's a lot of people. I used to go to all of his events and I met tons of new age people. And Tony, I believe was friends with a lot of new age teachers. Um, and there's a lot of people he's friends with that are all into this type of stuff. And one thing I was also into while I was into Tony Robin was the secret. I was obsessed. I would sleep with the movie on almost every night because I thought like it would just get into my brain and I would manifest. And I thought it's working. I'm like, dude, I was only so young. I was like the youngest person to work for the, I was definitely the youngest person. I think in the whole company, I was like barely freshly 18 or something working for Tony Robbins. And I didn't even try it. I remember hearing other people's stories, how they had to do some crazy stuff to get on the team, like send flowers with their resume to get noticed. Like, oh, wow. like, you know what I mean? Because yeah. so many people want to work because he's known as the greatest life coach, you know, in the world, the greatest business coach in the world. Everybody wants to, a lot of people who are into that stuff want to work for him. So I would meet a ton of new age people. I got into like breath work, practices, which is where somebody, a spiritual type of person leads you through this breath thing for like an hour and it's supposed to heal you and all this stuff. I didn't realize that girl was into channeling. That girl was into channeling spirits. And that's another thing people do in new age. They don't think it's witchcraft. They think it's channeling spirit guides and channeling. They think they're even channeling Jesus and archangels sometimes when really it's demons in disguise. Yeah. So that's what the new age is. There's so much in it into it, but it's really witchcraft in disguise. If you actually study Satanism, Anton LaVey, who created the church of Satan says that new age basically stole all their practices. Um, but they just took Satan's name out of it because it's the same thing. They channel, they meditate, they do a lot of the very same things. <laughs> and so, you know, using the crystals and the candles and all out of these things, they basically took the name of Satan out of it and made it look like all lovey dovey. And um, they're doing the same practices as people in 
really dark religions. They just don't know it. Um, so anyways, I was getting involved. I became a yoga instructor while I was doing this as well on top of everything. I don't know how I did so much. Yeah. You had a lot on your plate there. I had a lot on my plate. I would do sales in school. I dropped out of school when I became an official person on the team with Tony Robbins um, because I wanted to focus on that. But I got very into new age stuff. Like I said, breath work and getting connected with all these spiritual teachers, watching The Secret, reading all these manifestation books, um, getting all the crystals and all of these things, dream catchers and all these things into my home. (laughs) And I just was really deceived. I thought I was like killing it, guys. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm working for one of the best people in the world. I'm traveling. I'm helping people because Tony Robbins truly has a heart to try to help people. He gives food to a lot of people. He does a lot for the community. So I'm thinking I'm working for like Jesus on earth. Like, I, you know, it's very cult-like. People are obsessed with Tony Robbins and that world. People idolize him. If you see at the events, they're like in love with this dude. And I was one of them. (laughs) Like I was definitely one of them. So I'm not like saying those people are weird. I was one of them. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, so anyways, I think I'm like at the top of my life. I'm like, I'm doing amazing. I have my own apartment. I'm paying my own bills. I'm healing. I'm, you know, I'm taking care of my, my mind and my health. And I'm teaching people with yoga, how to like be better in all the yoga ways, you know, and I'm, I'm just thought I was on top of the world. But during this time, when I got the official job for Tony Robbins, they had me work from home remotely. And so I lived alone and I worked alone. So I had a lot of time alone. And I started to get curious about Jesus again. And I don't know why I did. I don't know. I like, I think it's because I started, my mom died and other bad things. Like I was on top of the world in areas. And I think a lot of people can relate to this just because you're on the top of the world in a lot of areas doesn't mean nothing bad ever happens. You can have both. Yeah. So I think as time went on, more bad things happened. Like a boyfriend. Um, one thing happened. I was listening to a lot of stuff that was exposing Satan in the world. And I wasn't a full believer at that time. But I started to say, wow, this kind of makes sense. <laughs> like the, all the deceptions. And I started to see that the new age was a deception. And I was in that. So I was like, wait, this is really weird. So I kept investigating more and more. I think as I, as I was genuinely looking at new age stuff, um, I also came across this stuff exposing new age stuff where I was like, wait a second here. And I curiously started to fall down this rabbit hole of exposing um, how real Satan is. And I started to watch videos on deliverance and I started to see stuff and I saw some real deliverances and I'm like, okay, that looks very real. Um, and I started to become more aware that Satan might actually be a real dude. Like this might actually be legit. Um, so I started to become very conflicted, very, very conflicted. And I started to become very convicted at times too. So I started I'm like, either what I'm doing is totally wrong or it's totally right. It's like I was at that crossroads. And then on top of that, I think a boyfriend cheated on me. Then like a a best friend stole like several grand. Like I I gave it to her, but then she chose not to give it back. Um, And then I went to another thing I used to do. I know I sound busy, but I in the summer, it was only for like five days, Comic-Con. So that was another thing. Every year I worked at Comic-Con because I had connections to Comic-Con and I thought it was so cool, you know, all of the comic stuff. Um, well, one day after Comic-Con, I, I would always bring a friend to stay in the hotel with me and work with me. 
and me and this girl after the event were walking back and um some guys were like you guys want to have a drink and we're like sure why not like no biggie well they drugged me and I ended up getting raped and um one of my friends walked in and saw me totally knocked out and this guy pacing around the room like he was freaking out because this guy when I was sober he seemed so unalarming like kind of like the like the college kid very smart scientist type of guy because he was he was into science stuff he was a medical student and so or, or he told me he was a medical student and so he was not I was not worried. I mean, I had grown up in the hood and I had done crazy things and been around crazy people. This guy was not scary. Yeah. So I was, I was not worried about this guy. <laughs> um, but this guy uh, apparently had drugs to rape people. So which medical students may have, you know, access to that. Maybe I don't know where he got it, but um, so a friend walked in and he was freaking out. Don't call the cops, blah, blah, blah. I didn't do anything. Um, but then he did say she's going to need plan B. So that says enough. Um, And he takes off and nobody calls the cops. And my friend did get me plan B. And I woke up in the morning and she told me and I had to take it. And that was that. So that was around all these things happened. Like my mom died a couple years earlier. I got cheated on. The friend hurt me, got raped. So I started to get into a low place. Plus, I started to understand that everything I thought was true might have been wrong. Because I had really given up on God at that point. So I was at this major, major crossroads of confusion, like brokenness again and confusion where I'm like, what is real? And I remember crying out to God, like, God, like, I'm going to need to like, if you're real, please show me because I'm in way too deep. If, if, if everything I'm doing is satanic and wrong, I'm in really deep. (laughs) So I really would like to know if I'm going to go to hell. Like, I really would like to know. And someone invited me to church and they had been inviting me for a long time. And I just always was like, no, I'm good. Um, And finally, I decided, you know what? I'm going to take you up on that offer. And I went to church and I think just the power of the Holy Ghost hit me. I just remember crying like the whole time, just the whole entire time I was there. And I agreed to come back. I think I gave my life to Christ that very first day. Um, But I agreed to come back. And I think the first like month, every time I came, I just cried the whole service and I just wept. And I just felt like so many years of heartache and pain and burden and struggle and shame and guilt and like just brokenness, just utter brokenness. I just laid at his feet. Like, I just don't know what to do anymore. Like I've tried to fix everything. And like, and people know this, no matter what you get in the world, it's not satisfying. God is the only thing that can truly satisfy you. Like I could have had the rave scene. I could have been on top of the world. I thought I was on top of the world working for Tony Robbins. Like I'm going to change people's lives. I wanted to be a life coach. I thought I would had good intentions. Like I'm going to help people's health. I'm going to give to the poor. I'm going to be a life coach and transform people's lives. Like you can think you have the whole world. And it still won't satisfy you. I was still not truly satisfied. And I gave my life to Christ. And I started to leave everything. I asked God, I'm like, God, I was really conflicted after this. Like, God, if you don't want me to work for Tony Robbins, I need to know. And like, if this is not what I'm supposed to be doing, because I had left everything to work for Tony Robbins. I had like, that was my goal for so many years. And 
I thought it was my dream. I thought I had achieved my dream. And I was really confused. Like, okay, if I achieve my dream and this isn't the right path, like, what am I going to do? So I just was like, God, if I'm not supposed to work here, let me know. And the very next day, my boss called me and he never called me individually. Like we would have group calls, but not individually. And he said, are you not happy working here the next day? And I, I knew it was God. Um, this is after I was already saved. And I was like, I knew that was my sign. That's what I asked for from God. And so I told him, you know, I'm not happy here. I'm not totally happy here. And he said, okay, well, this is what I'm going to do. I'll pay you for the rest of the month and you don't have to work. So you have time to find another job. He said, I'm not firing you, but you're choosing to quit. Basically telling me it's not going to look bad. And he said, and if you need a recommendation at any other job, I'll give it to you. And so he just let me go. And I never went back. And I, I, I quit basically that day. And I knew it was God. Yeah, because that, that was just, a, I mean, like a kind of a clean release right there. The best release I could have ever had. I got paid for the rest of the month. I got, I mean, I didn't, and it was probably the beginning of the month. I didn't need to work um, to get myself together. And I just knew that was the sign from God not to work there. And I'm not saying Tony Robbins is an awful guy, but I do think he is involved in some new age practices. And I don't think he's a Christian. Um, I've never seen anything Christian about him. I mean, I haven't watched him for years. I'm not against him. I think a lot of his stuff is perfectly fine to listen to. It's just self-help stuff. I'm not saying no one can listen to Tony Robbins. Um, I'm sure he has a lot of content. That's really great. I just knew that God was taking me out of that circle. I left the breath work. I, I just one day told the yoga studio, I'm not coming back in. And they're like, why? I'm like, because I'm a Christian and um, this uh, you won't understand. I can't explain it to you. You won't understand. And they said, there's Christian yoga. And I'm like, yeah, that's a problem too. <laughs> like, I don't know what to tell you. And they really wanted me to come back. They didn't get it. And I was like, no, I'm not coming back. I'm never stepping foot in there ever again. And I didn't. Um, and I just left everything. So once again, it was kind of like when I left the go-go world, I just left everything once again. So I left everything once again. I left the Tony Robbins world. I left, I got all of my new age stuff and, and got rid of it, burned it, threw it away, whatever. And there I was again on a new path. And I just dove deep into God and got onto like every, I took every course they had at that church. I was on every serving team you can imagine, like Every single team. I don't know why I thought you needed to serve on every team, but <laughs> I did everything. I did the missions trips. I just got really, really involved with God and started changing my life. It it sounds like you were really in a phase of life where, you know, God was kind of deconstructing everything so that he could raise up kind of that new creation within you. Yeah. And I just knew I needed to leave behind my old life. Like I really needed to be a new creation and once again, walk away from my old life. Um, so I go down that path. And I remember one day I went to a purity conference where you make a vow to be pure until marriage. Um, great thing, right? Mm -hmm. um, well, that night was the very first time that I was attacked by demons. And so demons didn't attack me when I was doing all this other stuff. You know, um, I actually only saw my first memory ever was um, a snake demon on the ceiling when as a child, that's my first memory. And for years, I saw that. Wow. But after that, I never saw spirits again for a long time. Um, I think I saw them once when I was a teenager. Actually, I saw them. I, I had some spiritual encounters a couple times when I was a teenager, but I just wrote it off as like not being sober. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's just say that I just thought, okay, I've 
I've taken it too far. Yeah, it's but a bad they trip. Were probably spirit. Yeah, but it was probably spirits. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so anyways, I made a. They never attacked me when I was in New Age. They never attacked me when I was in the world. They never attacked me because they're comfortable. They want you. They're like, yeah, this is great. We're taking it down the path of destruction. When I really started to serve the Lord with my whole heart and make a vow of purity and was just changing my whole world. Um, yeah, that irritated all these demons I had let in over my lifetime and I had let in a few. So yeah. So they started to attack me in my bed at night. Like they would choke me. They would be in the blank. Like I could feel the blankets pulling off of me. I could hear them, um, like breathing next to me. Um, multiple times they're on top of me some people call it sleep paralysis, but it's really a demon trying to like scare you. Yeah. Um, and each time all I knew how to do, the only spiritual warfare I knew how to do was yell Jesus. Um, and even then it was like in my head, I had to yell it because I couldn't even speak because they're like suffocating you. It's very strange. Yeah. Um, and I got a little bit scared after that. So for like six months, I slept with like three Bibles open on my bed, the Bible app on the lights on. Cause I lived alone and I'm like, Oh my gosh, what have I done? What is going on here? And I went to a very normal church where like, they didn't have a lot of advice on this stuff. Like they probably, they probably would have told me it's sleep paralysis, <laughs> you know, um, where they're not even addressing it as what it really is. So I started to look up like, what the heck is this? And so I found Derek Prince and I started finding a lot of um, people who were doing deliverance and teaching deliverance and how to get free from all the new age bondage, all the stuff I had let in through all the meditation and all the stuff. And I didn't share this part there, but there was a season um, a, a, right before I got raped at Comic-Con where I even went and got my cards read multiple. I got my cards read, went to psychics and like started to dabble into witchcraft. Not, not I didn't consider myself a witch, but I thought it was involved. I thought it was new age too. Like I didn't, a lot of times people in new age end up getting into full, it's all witchcraft, but they really, they go, they continue to take it further and further. So that's what I started to do. So I had also let stuff in that way. But anyways, so I started to look up all these people online and get books on this stuff. And I started to watch lots of deliverances. And I had already been doing that. If you remember, before I got saved, I started to see some of this stuff. And I went back to it, kind of thinking like, now I actually need this stuff. Like, I'm not just looking at it now. I think I need to like repeat what they're saying here. And I would pray over my house and anoint my house. Um, I prayed over one of my sister's houses. And this whole bag of candy that was on her fridge, like levitated on its own, like so fast, like, boom, it went off the fridge and hit the wall and slammed and fell down when we were praying the demons out. So like, I started to see more spiritual stuff. Um, but I started to get into that. And so at church, I was like learning the foundational stuff, but on my own time, I was starting to learn the more in-depth spiritual stuff like healing and deliverance and a lot of the stuff you just don't get taught at just like an average church. Um, and then fast forward a little bit, I meet my husband and um, my friend sets me up on like a blind date with them, with him. And he actually can see in the spirit. He's a seer. Um, and people who don't know what that is, you could see in the Bible, there's multiple people who have had dreams or visions, or like, I believe it was Elijah or Elijah, 
where they saw the armies of the Lord up on the mountain. They're able to see into the spirit. That's still true today. There's still people who can see in the spirit. So he has been able to see spirit since he was six years old. Wow. And so he's a really big seer. Um, He can see very clearly in the spirit realm, all kinds of stuff. Um, And when I met him that first day we met, he thought he was going to scare me off by telling me like, yeah, I can see into the spirit. I could see demons and stuff. And I always joke, like most girls would probably be like, I need to get off this date and go home right now because this guy's crazy. Um, But not me because I had so much knowledge in this area from years of studying it. And I had my own spiritual encounters and very much knew that demons were real. And by the way, when I, the demons attacks did stop when I started to do the deliverance stuff. How long did that go on for, for you, Julia, the demon attacks? Not that long. It was only like a week or two. And then I started to sleep with the lights on in the Bible and praying more and doing the deliverance. So it wasn't very long, but I was scared for a while until I really learned my authority. And I learned, oh yeah, they stopped because I know who I am in Christ now. Um, and I know how to get them to stop with, um, you know, the authority of Jesus in Jesus name and praying and breaking all, all that stuff that I let in repenting of all that stuff, getting rid of anything left over in my house, um, breaking soul ties. I mean, everything I could think of, I did all the things that I could possibly think of to get myself as free as possible. But yeah, I met my husband and he had a lot of knowledge in the same stuff. We got along really well and we got married. And immediately we started learning deliverance together. We got involved in a church together that did deliverance on a regular basis and operated in the spiritual gifts on a regular basis. And, you know, praying in tongues was normal. Deliverance was normal. Healing was normal. Prophecy was normal. All all of the things that we see in scripture, like the Acts church, were normal. And so that was within a few months of us getting married, we got involved in that. And now we've been married almost seven years. This year will be seven years. So we spent many years in a church like that. Um, Not that long ago, the Lord um, gave us the green light to leave and start our own ministry. Um, He's been building us up for years. So over these like six, seven years of marriage, we have studied everything together. We have found the best people in prophecy to learn from. We found the best people in deliverance to learn from. We found the best. I just mean people who have a lot of experience and excel in it at a great level because they have a lot of experience. That's what I mean by that. People we study from people who have really solid healing ministries with a huge track record of success of healing, um, things like that. So we've learned over these seven years from so many different people. We were in a church, but we also helped serve at other places and learn from people in all different kinds of backgrounds. And over that time, the Lord has spoken to us many, many, many times And this is something I haven't shared on my page yet, but this is where I'm going to be taking my page going forward is um, for years, the Lord has um, prophesied to us and spoken to us personally about revival. And now revival is such a popular word and everybody's talking about it. But the Lord had been putting that on our hearts for years before it became as mainstream as it is now. And I really held back from talking about it as much because we weren't doing our own ministry yet. And I knew one day we would, and I kind of, didn't need to go tell everybody what God was telling us we were going to do. I kind of was like, oh, when it happens, everyone will know what what God was planning for us. But recently, the Lord put it on my heart that I need to start sharing on my social media, really tailoring it to revival more. 
um, one, the generals of the faith who had brought in revival in the past, but also what God's doing in this season going forward and that. So basically who we are as a ministry now. So it's me and my husband. We have two children and we, um, our ministry is called Fervent Faith Missions. And we are called to revival, to bring into revival in this end time season. Now, nobody knows the day or the hour. It could be a few years, a lot of years. We don't know. Um, but we know that there's a lot of signs that we're looking for and a lot of them are there. Um, and so the Lord has plans to pour and Joel pour out a spirit upon all flesh. And it's going to be a really big season of revival. One, we see a lot of stuff going on in the world, but we also see the remnant rising who are operating in power, just like the Acts church. So who we are as a ministry is some people call it full gospel or fivefold. Basically what Jesus and the apostles did, we preach the gospel first and foremost and get people saved, baptize in water, baptize people in the Holy Ghost, because that is a separate baptism and there's scriptures to prove that. Yep. Um, we believe in healing the sick. We believe in, and we do, we heal the sick. We cast out demons. Um, we walk in faith and we believe in the spiritual gifts that are throughout the Bible, praying in tongues and prophecy and operating in all these things. So though we've had experience in different ministries, we've been in a healing ministry for a while. We've been in a deliverance ministry. I believe the best for us, the ministry we're going to have is all of it because that's what Jesus did. Yep. And so when they went, they would preach the word. And then the people that needed to be healed were healed. The people that needed demons cast out were cast out and so on and so forth. So we let the Holy Spirit lead when ministering is the Lord bringing a word of knowledge is the Lord bringing prophecy. Like does he want us to, to speak a prophetic word over the person? Is that what that person needs? Does that person need healing? Does that person need deliverance? And it's tailored to what the Holy Spirit wants to do. And so we believe in all of it. Um, first and foremost, like I said, preaching the gospel, the, in Mark 16, um, 16, 16, it says, preach the gospel to the whole world. Those who believe will be saved. Those who don't believe will be condemned. And these are the signs of those who believe they'll cast out demons. They'll heal the sick, etc. So that's the foundation. Deliverance is not, I mean, if deliverance is a ministry, that's only because the church has dropped the ball and isn't doing it enough. And there's a lot of people that need help. Right. Yeah. But we believe it's just a part of our ministry. And there's nothing wrong if somebody wants to have a deliverance ministry because there's such a need for it and such a lack. That's fine. There, I'm, not, I'm not criticizing that. Um, but for us, it's just a part of ministry. Everywhere Jesus went, he healed the sick, casted out demons, and preached the gospel. And then now that the Holy Spirit has come after he left, it brought in the spiritual gifts that are in us to prophesy. And, and we know Jesus... No, knew everything. He prophesied to the woman at the well saying you had five husbands. So it just depends on the situation and letting the Lord lead us. We know that we're called to the lost. We're called because we have, like my husband has a really crazy testimony too. And he has, you know, he was a Satanist in his teenage years. He was in gangs. He, he was in Hollywood. He did, he was in the music industry. He is very relatable to a lot of people. I'm very relatable to a lot of women who have been through a lot of the similar things as us. And we know that we're called to the lost. We're not just called to the Christians to build them up, which we will do that as well. We'll build up the Christian, but we're also called to go into the streets. So we don't plan on having a building unless the Lord eventually leads us to having a building. We plan on being more of a traveling ministry at this point. And um, right now we are in San Diego, California. That's where we're called to. That's the Lord has put that on us for 
a while now, over a year. San Diego is the place like a year and a half. San Diego is what, where the Lord said to start. And we believe in going out into the streets and transforming the homeless, just like the demoniac who was out of his mind, like delivering or healing or whatever they need. So going out into the streets and doing revivals, doing if that's tent revivals, it's that if that's in churches or in stadiums, whatever the Lord is going to lead. But we're going to that's what we're going to do is just let the Holy Spirit lead, preach the gospel to the lost, like the witches, the warlocks the outcast, the addict, the transvestite, like, or transgender. I mean, I, I don't know. Sometimes, you know, the wrong word. <laughs> don't want to use the wrong word here. <laughs> Sorry. You'll be canceled. Uh, but, you know, I'll be canceled. I'm already canceled. If they heard what I believe that they would already cancel me, <laughs> but um, it's okay. Jesus yep. doesn't cancel me. So that's cool. Amen. Um, Amen. But that's, but that's it. Basically we're going to go out into the world. We're going to go into the whole world and we're going to preach the gospel, heal the sick, cast out demons and operate in the gifts as the Holy spirit leads wherever the Holy spirit leads and bring in revival because the church needs it yeah, and the world needs it. Amen. And that's where we're going. Yeah. For such a time as this, especially what a what a redemption story Julia, I mean, to, to go through all that you've been through to now here you are, you know, married with kids, having ministry, going out and just serving the Lord with, with all your, your heart. What an incredible story of redemption. What's that like for you to reflect on that as you kind of look back, you know, throughout the last hour and however long it's been, we, we've gone through your life. What's that like to now, you know, see where that little girl was? And, and all the, the heartache and, and the loneliness and the rejection and the, the, the longing for acceptance and love to now having all of that plus a ton more found in Jesus Christ. Yeah, it is. I, because I feel so blessed. Like I have a really an amazing husband and amazing children and I live in a bigger place now than I ever lived in, you know, that room and that apartment was all I lived in before this. And my apartment by myself was very small. So it's like, I, I joke, like there was years I never had a bed for years. And like, it's just crazy. It, everything is crazy. I look at my life and only Jesus can take you from so broken to so healed. Like God has transformed so much. And that's a great thing. He can get you out of addiction, whatever it is that you're going through, heal you from trauma. He is the only thing that is actually satisfying, actually bring true peace, true joy. Um, I've had a lot of highs. I've had a lot of lows, but I've also had a lot of what I thought were highs and they were never fulfilling ever. It's just, I do think of the little girl that I was like either sleeping on the bathroom floor or hiding my mom in the bathroom when I was even littler. And I would have never thought my life would be where it is now. And I would never think with all the shame and guilt when I was younger, like, an embarrassment, like just being insecure that God would use me, that God would want me, that God would love me. God would forgive me for all those mistakes. Like I was really mad at myself when I left Jesus for years and I went off and did everything else and put my trust in everything else, but him, that God is just sitting there waiting with his arms open, waiting for you to come back and loves you. And is so patient and so, like so long suffering loves you despite everything. So God has spoken to me on occasions and told me I was there. He was there stroking my hair next to me every night when I was sleeping in the bathroom. He's told me I was with you through everything, through everything. No matter what mistake I made, he was with me. 
there's nothing like the love of Jesus. He, there's no answer for how someone with all the cards I had, generational sexual abuse, divorce, drug addict, prostitution, everything. Like I should not be so living the life that I'm living. Like I broke the mold. I broke the generational curses Amen. Um, because of Jesus. Jesus, I could never do it alone. Um, God is the only thing that can truly heal you inside where you're not reaching to all of these things to heal you or to comfort you. So it's incredible. I do also want to say that when I reflect back, because I, I think people will listen to this and a lot of people stay away from Christianity because there are a lot of perverted people in the church or as a child, they were sexually abused. This is incredibly common. I think most people I know, sadly, were abused at some level in their childhood yeah. by someone. And some, in a lot of cases, there was someone who claimed Christianity, right? So I think it's an important topic to talk about that that does not reflect on God. That reflects on multiple things. One, Satan, who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Demonic, but also free will. People choosing to use their free will in awful ways. Um, really broken, sinful people that just continue on. I think that guy who abused me, that was a Christian. I think his babysitter, when he was like nine, had sex with him. Wow. So, and then I think he became addicted to porn and stuff after that. So it's broken people that just continue it on. It's not God. God says it's better for someone to have a millstone, like a stone around their neck and be thrown into the ocean than hurt a child. He never desires somebody to hurt a child. Um, but even as an adult, he doesn't desire for people to hurt you. It grieves him. It hurts him. And that's why there will be justice one day for those things. Some people don't understand the concept of hell. Well, God has got to see, God has watched all those little girls get abused. He has some righteous anger to his little daughters being abused. Trust me, there's going to be an answer for it. Like hopefully, and even if someone has abused children, God is so merciful he could even forgive the molester. Yeah. Um, but if you don't accept him and get covered in that blood and cleansed of all your sins, he's a just God. And anyone today, if they if, if a child was raped, they would want justice. He's a just God. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't reflect on God. God did not allow that guy to hurt me. God did not approve of that. That doesn't reflect God. God gives us an example to follow, and people stray from it. It's like, hey, if you would just stick to these rules, life could be so much better. But people don't. They don't. And they make tons of mistakes. They know they're not supposed to be watching porn every day. And they go and watch porn and they build up this addiction to sexual things. And they, porn can be perverted. It can change their brain on what they think is okay in the bedroom. They become violent. There's violent things. Or they become abused in their childhood and they become violent. God is not for this. It's just we live in such a compacted, sinful world, generation after generation of trauma and sin and demonic. And Satan knows time is short. He is ruthless. Satan does not care if someone's a child. He's like, oh, this is a great opportunity to really destroy their life. I'm going to take it. Yeah. He is ruthless. He doesn't care. Um, and I and in deliverance, I've seen many demons admit, like, oh yeah, that was me that made them get raped all the time. Like it it's a spiritual war. So my thing is, is a lot of people will point at the church and be like, the church is false because there's bad people in it. Well, the church is a hospital for bad people to get better. Yeah. For one, but even Christians are not perfect. And it, that doesn't excuse bad behavior. They should try to be more like Jesus. Unfortunately, a lot of Christians are just super lukewarm 
or completely backslidden and just putting on this mask of Christianity. And they're actually horrible people behind closed doors. So basically it doesn't reflect on God. That's my point is like, God is not for the abuse and he, it's not his fault. And I, it took being an adult to reflect on that and see that and see that God loved me. God never wanted me to be hurt in those ways um, or you. So if you were hurt in those ways, God was never okay with that. He never allowed that. It's not, he didn't forget you. He didn't hate you. He didn't reject you. He didn't just not care about you. I am sure that God was absolutely grieved when you were abused. Um, He's not for it. If you read the heart of God throughout the Bible, he is absolutely not for abuse like that. Yeah. Preach it, Julia. And he can heal you. He can heal you. He can heal you. That's the great thing is like, even though I've been through a lot, I don't feel any of that anymore. So I don't feel ashamed of that. I'm not, it doesn't like, he can heal no matter what trauma you've been through, no matter how deep and dark it is, or even how sinful you are. Maybe you're the bad guy in the story and you're listening to this and you're like, yeah, I was the rapist. As crazy as that sounds, he still even loves you as his child that went so far south so far south. Um, he doesn't say that rape is the unforgivable sin. He doesn't say that there's actually still a chance of redemption, even if you're the murderer or you're the rapist. That's how good and merciful of a God we have that even the worst person. And I pray that I have no animosity. I have no bad feelings to anyone that abused me. I actually pray that they get saved. You know, I pray that, that they don't go to hell. Yeah. You know, I pray that they get healing for whatever torment made them to be that type of person that would do such a thing. Yeah. You know, um, so that's the point is that you can be saved no matter if you're the person like me. I made a lot of mistakes, no matter what you did, you can be saved and used by God and your testimony. Sometimes the darker it is, the more glory it gives God, because only God can do a transformation like that. Amen. Well, and that's evident in, in your life, Julia, like you said, it's, uh, it, it's like a heart change, right? And, and for him to bring you to where you're at now, um, it's got me pumped up. It, it, it you know, I, I love hearing stories like this because yeah, it's just a great reminder that you're never too far gone from God, right? Like he, you are always able to come back to him, but that's a choice that we have to make. And so anyone that's listening right now, make that choice, you know, run to it, you know, do it right now that there's no need to wait any longer, do it right now. And man, Julia, it's been amazing hearing uh, your story. How can people follow you and uh, your husband's ministry? So um, there's a few ways. I mean, we have our personal accounts on social media, which is what we're most active on, but we do have, um, we only moved to San Diego to start our own ministry just a couple months ago. But my personal Instagram is Julia Angeline. That's J-U-L-I-A-A-N-G-E-L-E-E-N. My husband is Ruben Valdez. He may have it as Ruben RJ Valdez. Our ministry page on Instagram is Fervent Faith Missions. Fervent Faith Missions on Instagram. And on Facebook, I am Julia Valdez. that's my married last name, V-A-L-D-E-Z. So Julia Valdez on Facebook. Ruben is Ruben R.J. Valdez on Facebook. 
And then I have a YouTube channel as well, which I haven't been as active on, but I do have a series of videos on there and I'm going to be doing a lot more. Um, and that is also Fervent Faith Missions at, on YouTube. Awesome. And Julia, tell us about your clothing line. Oh, yeah. So the Lord, um, I always had a desire for fashion. Like I, even when I was a child, I always thought, man, I'd love to have a clothing line. And I used to draw clothing I would hopefully one day make. Um, but I never thought it was in the cards right now. I thought, you know, down the road, you know, type of thing. But last year, the Lord told me, start a t-shirt line immediately, um, or clothing line immediately. And it's not me like sewing clothes. I think one day I'll do something like that, but this is Christian t-shirts, hoodies, sweatshirts, accessories, things like that. And so I just started that on the first of this year, 2022, and it's called, um, covered in kingdom and it's covered in kingdom on Etsy as an Etsy store. If you go to coveredinkingdom.com, it will actually redirect you to my Etsy. It's covered in kingdom on Instagram and covered in kingdom on Facebook. And I have a bunch of shirts, all different colors, all different sizes, all about Jesus on my line. Um, and I personally think they're really cute. <laughs> <laughs> well, and really you know, they're, they're like unisex too. some of the designs. Like I got a shirt that's in the mail right now that I ordered from you guys that I'm excited to get. So definitely. Yeah. I'll, I'll post a link to that in the show notes here so that people can find that. And uh, definitely support Julia's endeavor there because it's it's awesome. Julia, thank you again so much. What a uh, man! I, I just I don't know what other word to say other than like an incredible <laughs> testimony and to see again the life that you had and the life that you have now. It's all because of Jesus. It's all due to Jesus. And um, man, it, I, it it almost seems like you and and Ruben's ministry, your family's ministry. You guys are only just getting started, right? Like, you know, it's it, yeah. you guys are in that preparation stage, that foundational stage. And now it's, I, I just, in my heart, I feel like God's like, all right, we're pushing you out now. It's time to go do this and, and preach the gospel. And um, I'm excited to, to follow you guys along on that journey. Thank you. Yeah. I feel like almost like it's army, like, like the last few years were like boot camp training, like the Lord was training us up. And now he's like, all right, it's time for war. Go. <laughs> so it's like, we're, it's, we're ready to go and we're getting started. And we're, we're, we're really close to things happening down here in San Diego. We've been, God has been opening so many supernatural doors down here. So it's all him. We're very excited. Well, I'm excited with you guys. I mean, this is incredible just hearing what Jesus has brought you through and uh, what he's also brought your husband through as well. And he's brought you guys together to just be a power couple for the kingdom. And uh, I'm excited. And and this was awesome, Julia. Thank you so much for coming on. You're, you're amazing. Jesus is amazing. And man, what an incredible testimony that you have. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And God bless you and your family and God bless everyone listening. And if you listened this long to my story, thank you so much. Hope you enjoyed it and got something from it and that, you know, it encouraged you in some way. Well, I don't know how anyone could not be encouraged after listening to this. This was amazing. Thanks again, Julia. Thank you. You have a great night. Man, what an awesome story Julia has. She's lived a lot of life, and she's a perfect example of coming out of the darkness and into the light. She's been washed of her sins, cleansed from her past, and is marching forward to help the world know Jesus.
If you have any questions for Julia, use the hashtag AskTWT across the TWT social media pages, and we'll have Julia answer some. If you want to follow her on social media, you can find her on Instagram at Julia Angeline and on Facebook at Julia Valdez. I'd also highly recommend her clothing line covered in kingdom. I got the line of Judah shirt, and it's definitely one of my favorite shirts now. So go to coveredinkingdom.com or search for it on Etsy. And guys, check out Julia and Ruben's ministry. They're doing awesome things for the kingdom and truly want to help set captives free, heal the brokenhearted, cast out demons, lay hands on the sick, and proclaim the name of Jesus above all. You can follow their ministry at ferventfaithmissions.com as well as their Fervent Faith Missions YouTube page. And if you're feeling led to give financially to their ministry, you can support them at Resist the Devil on PayPal, dollar sign Resist the Devil on Cash App, and at Fervent Faith on Venmo. Again, I'll put all this information in the show notes, so make sure to check it out. Thanks again to Julia for coming on the show and sharing her incredible story of transformation. That's all for this week's episode, but I'll be back with another testimony next week. So in the meantime, make sure you're living life in such a way that glorifies God and kicks Satan's butt. Peace.